Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. I'd like to tell you about a fantastic new book that just released from Hanover Square Press called Femina, A New History of the Middle Ages Through the Women Written Out of It by Dr. Yanina Ramirez. The Middle Ages are seen as a bloodthirsty time of Vikings, saints, and kings, a patriarchal society that oppressed and excluded women. But when we dig a little deeper into the truth, we can see that the Dark Ages were anything but. Oxford and BBC historian Yanina Ramirez has uncovered countless influential women's names struck out of historical records, with the word femina annotated beside them. As gatekeepers of the past ordered books to be burned, artworks to be destroyed, and new versions of myths, legends, and historical documents to be produced, our view of history has been manipulated, and women of the Middle Ages have been almost entirely written out until now. In Femina, Dr. Ramirez invites us to see the medieval world with fresh eyes and discover why these remarkable women were removed from our collective memories. Femina by Dr. Yanina Ramirez is available now. Pick up your copy at your local bookstore. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Feminist Book Club podcast. I'm your intrepid host, Natalia Santana Pollard, and I'm here with acclaimed author. Can I say acclaimed? Lily Brooks Dalton, who is going to talk to us a little bit about The Light Pirate, her newest novel, Resilience, about grief, about what we inherit, about loss, climate change, I hope, and just kind of take us on the trip so that we can all be a little bit better at the end of it. Lily, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Natalia. It's really fun to be here to talk with you. So the way that I like to start all of my interviews is to ask the author, describe your book. You tell me what it's about. Thank you for the vote of confidence. It's funny. This is usually like the hardest question and it's good to get it up front. So The Light Pirate is about a family living in a small town in coastal Florida as the environment around them is changing really rapidly and they are struggling to adapt. The story focuses on Wanda, who is the youngest, the daughter of the family. And as the youngest, she's also kind of the future of this place. So we're following Wanda throughout her lifetime as the environment is changing around her and also as she is growing up and maturing and changing alongside it. Oh, I love that description. Yeah, that's (laughs) way more succinct than what I put. So at Feminist Book Club, we get pitched a lot of books. When we got the pitch for The Light Pirate, I immediately snapped it up. I'm a Florida gal, and I also work in emergency management, so I have a very scholarly kind of like fascination with climate change and just the changing world around us and how Florida specifically will adapt to it. And then I read it, and I was blown away. I just ran the spectrum of emotions. So I say all of this to say what started it, how did what was that kernel of, of a thought that coalesced into this beautiful piece of work? Well, so I didn't grow up in Florida. I grew up in Vermont. But then when I was about 21, my parents moved to Florida. So it has been kind of 
my home base for my adult life so many years ago now. It was 2016 when I kind of coincidentally ended up with two writing residencies in Florida. And I was in Key West working on a book that was kicking and screaming and not wanting to come into the world and feeling so like ashamed of wasting my time and being in this beautiful place. And then a hurricane was approaching. And it was really incredible to be in this moment of personal inner turmoil, watching this external turmoil approach and seeing this really fun, loving, kooky community just like snap into action and start to prepare for this thing they are so accustomed to. I've always really been interested in infrastructure. And so I knew that I wanted to to use the lens of these line workers. So Wanda's father and eventually her brother are line workers who, which many people might not know, work on power lines. And in a place like Florida that endures storm after storm, like that's a really important and uh, and really dangerous job. Yeah. And they are beloved, right? That the sight of a lineman coming into your neighborhood after a storm that's your beacon, that you're going to get power back, that your food isn't going to go to waste, that you're going to be able to communicate with your family. So I, who also love infrastructure, loved that that was the profession of both Kirby and Lucas. So let's split off there. So we're in a book where it is magically real. Right. What made you lean into the magical realism aspect of it? That's a tough one to answer because in the moment that was just an intuitive thing. But looking back on it, I think that kind of point of view of these natural elements brings a little more levity to the book, even though it's not like warm and fuzzy. It's like, this sort of perspective that really doesn't care. (laughs) That's so beautiful because you're so in Wanda's story. You are in it. And then you get a break and it's this otherworldly perspective where it's just like, yeah, I'm a freaking hurricane. So in the book, why focus on Wanda? I know that you're seeing the story from her perspective, but as you were coming up with the book, was there any ever a moment where you were like, I want to look at this from Kirby's perspective, a man who has seen literally his entire world change or Frida's perspective? I did want it to be like to give all of these this cast of characters, their moment and their own point of view. From the start, I was like, the clock of this book is Wanda's lifetime. And we begin just as she's being born and we go to the end of her life. And so even though she doesn't actually appear in the narrative for quite a while, we get this, the circumstances of her birth take up. First, maybe quarter of the book. Yeah, it's about 90, 100 pages. I think part of what fascinated me about Wanda as a character is her innate connection to this landscape, to this place. And so by spending time with her and watching her, we're also watching this landscape and we're watching them change alongside of each other. They are inextricably linked. How did that 
inheritance come about. I don't want to say exactly what happens, but at some point, Wanda is Florida and Florida is Wanda. And they are intricately weaved into the fabric of each other's beings. Let's talk about inheritance. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to tread lightly because I also don't want to do too many spoilers. Throughout the book, there are a number of relationships that are kind of maternal without being about blood relation that are about carrying on knowledge rather than carrying on genes. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to me to just like mark that the relationship Wanda finds is a queer one and there are no children coming from that. And yet she is mothering a community and a place and bringing knowledge forward. The idea that I loved that it wasn't, I'm going to have my babies and I'm going to teach my babies. It was, I'm going to have my relationship and I'm going to teach the world, essentially my world. I really, really love that. A previous book that I wrote called Good Morning Midnight has kind of an ending in which some people have come to me and, and kind of found something biblical in that, something Adam and Eve in it. And I am not in the business of telling readers what the right takeaway from my books is at all. So going into this book, I was really conscious of wanting to pull against that idea that this is how civilizations are made. Yes. And this is how like knowledge is dispersed. I come from a community where the knowledge that I have as a person in this world was not just bestowed to me by my mother, right? Mm-hmm. It was bestowed to me by my aunts, my uncles, my sisters, my brothers, my teachers in school, my co-workers, my friends. Everybody around you is capable of, of giving you information that you bring forward into the world. It takes a village right? Western societies, and I feel like American societies especially, value independence, that bootstrappy mentality. Kirby was a bootstrap kind of guy. He fixed his house and he was individual. And Wanda said, I don't have that luxury. Fuck that. (laughs) I'm going to bring everybody with me. Took her a minute to get there, right? I love that you touched on it takes a village to raise a village. Right. And she really comes into herself when she finds that village and she finds her purpose and her voice. In wanting to write a story about kind of the dissolution of the society that we have and also open the door to the building of a society that we could have, Mm -hmm. individualism is a huge problem in the way that we function right now. And imagining another way to do that, a way that isn't about inheritances and making sure that your family gets what you had and their kids get what they had. And and like that sort of straight line of passing. The most hierarchical in knowledge distribution. And that kind of brings me to another line of question in terms of resilience, right? One of the big questions that I study is how can we build a more resilient nation, right? So can you talk about 
how you went about building a resilient community in this book. Did isolating Florida and and essentially saying, no, 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 the resources of the government are not coming for you in this novel. Did that give you more freedom to build this resilient society? Because I find that the isolation aspect is what allows this new way of being to thrive. And I don't know if that is, is that was your intention. Totally. At the core of it, isolation is kind of the thing that I'm always writing about, which I feel like I will always be writing about in one way or another. From a story perspective was so important to me because I didn't want the book to be bogged down in what was happening in the rest of the world. I wanted to look at it from a really local perspective. Wouldn't it be a patriarchal and like a really supremacist idea to say that a civil engineer can only deal in concrete infrastructure, for example, or anything like that. And that's, as somebody who comes from a developing country, that's like something that really kind of sticks in my craw is that you have this idea that this one way mm-hmm. of being or of, of creating the built world around you is the right way. And it's typically a very Western way, but that's not the case, right? Like I've got totally Chanel community. <laughs> that exist off of what would be seen as like a a dirt road and a couple of shacks and like whatever, but no, 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 no. That's, that's the community. I've been thinking a lot about that as I think about like my grandmother and the work that she did in Dominican Republic in the sixties, she had nothing. They lived in a farmhouse with like a gajillion and a half kids. And They were in the middle of nowhere, Dominican Republic, and U.S. troops came in and ousted the governor, the government there and did a whole bunch of shady shit. And she thrived. She managed to make it work for her kids, which by extension means me, but also for her neighbors. And she got them literate and she she did all of this great activism work in a place that would be considered unworthy of development or investment. And now look, the repercussions of that are huge. I loved that idea that you don't need some sort of one size fits all response to rebuild this society. It needed to be flexible and fit the location and fit the the moment as it were. Totally. And I actually love this tangent and I love that story um, because I think it's so beautifully illustrates this <clears throat> the the falseness of this idea that i think many of us have that like if it's concrete and it's got electricity and it's like 10 stories high that's infrastructure and if it's no paved roads like made out of like earthen materials like that isn't mm-hmm. but like but like the fact is human beings and the things that we create our nature. Like we love to do this thing where we're like, there's nature and then there's humans. Yes. We're not as if we're not part of it. And it's (laughs) not true. (laughs) I love that. Cause it's so true. Like the bugs that live in my house, they're part of nature. (laughs) Yes. No matter how much I want them out. That's I, they were here first, not me. Yeah. Like we can make, if we make a skyscraper out of concrete, that's like we are engaging with nature. That is nature. If we make like a little 
shack out of branches and mud and like that is like we are part of this system and like everything we're doing is is part of nature as well and that like schism is is not helpful no and it's certainly problematic when we think about climate change and we think about the reality of the future right where you are before we started recording lily had told me that she's in la right so you guys are facing your fourth atmospheric river event this week, I think. I think it starts like tomorrow or the day after. Dozens have died. The mm-hmm. landslides and mudslides and all of that stuff are ongoing. The drought that preceded all of this has made the land unable to, to drink up all of the water. The city of LA, I'm 97% sure if my floodplain maps or knowledge is correct, is just like mostly built in a floodplain. You've, you've concreted up your rivers and here you are. And we're somehow like asking ourselves the question, I wonder why all this bad stuff is happening. Yeah. What? It is wild to think about things in a binary, black and white, nature, not nature, built, unbuilt, it it's just not helpful. I do want to touch briefly on Lucas. So Lucas is Wanda's older brother. And mm-hmm. in the book, and I'm going to pretend that this isn't a spoiler. And if it is, oops. But in the book, as Lucas grows up, he becomes a lineman like his father. Yes, but he leaves Florida. Yeah. He manages to get out. And it's through him that we get glimpses of what's going on in the outside like the larger United States. And it's not great. (laughs) It is not great. In your mind, what was the, what was the rest of the, like the U S doing? What was the rest of the world doing? Has everybody just kind of had to stop what they're doing to focus inward and like fix their own problems or, or is there kind of like what, I know that it's not the main focus of the book, but I guess I'm just curious, like what in your head was the backdrop of all of this stuff happening? Like what was going on in the background? That, mm. That's a better way to ask it. What was going on in the background? I mean, I didn't fully imagine it, but the, the extent to which I did is like, it's bad. It's, <laughs> it's that like sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. And it's kind of like this, like Florida came up against a catastrophic, like we cannot continue to support this place first. And the idea is like the dominoes kept falling. Like we end our our view into the rest of the country at that point, because that's just not the story I wanted to tell. But the idea is that the first domino has fallen, the second, the the third, and therefore they're just going to keep falling. And that's kind of what I imagined, right? Is like, it can't, it can't end here. Like, yeah, California is bad. What's going on in Alaska? Who knows? I figured it just didn't end there. It was just a massive thing. So moving on to just some points of levity and maybe just some points of general interest. What kind of research did you do for this book? Especially the like survivalist bits. Well, I did. I spent some time on some survivalist like message boards. There's a lot of everything. There are a lot of guns. There are a lot of like weapon discussions, which I was like, whoa, that's really interesting and <clears throat> not what I'm looking for. But at the same time like that, I guess that has to be like 
part of this. And, and I don't, I don't know. I wonder because I, I think about like after big disasters, typically like data shows that people come together first evidence of looting and crimes is actually overreported by the media. It's yeah. not an accurate depiction of what's going on at the scene. Right. So I wonder, I always wonder about that idea. Like I'm going to need an armory to stock up and defend myself after the ends of times. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I love that observation that it's often overreported because that was something like looking at these message message boards and seeing the the magnitude of this discussion of weaponry, but also feeling the kind of falseness of this like walking dead narrative i mean like (laughs) but isn't that the truth right they all feel like they're in the walking dead right exactly and just kind of really wanting to question whether that is true like and and also acknowledge that yes that is true but like what are the percentages here like we can't just pretend like that's not a reality. But I was also really interested in like seed banks, this idea of, of like having a cache of seeds, of preserving food, how to do that, how to can goods. I was really, I went down a lot of rabbit holes around ecology and gardening and native plants and thinking about how the plants that are in Florida would or wouldn't survive. Mm-hmm. And I luckily have a mother who's an avid gardener and is really familiar with this climate living there. So I definitely utilized her expertise. Awesome. That is very, very neat. I, I was also thinking about like the way that she built like the, the structure that she lived in, Mm -hmm. like the actual, in my, you're going to laugh or you're going to be horrified, one of the two. But like in my brain, it looked like a ropes course almost. (laughs) I love that. I see it more as like a treehouse city kind of thing. Ah, okay. I get that vibe. And then the only thing that we haven't really talked about is the people in the book, the people who are not Wanda and, and these these different viewpoints that she kind of sees herself surrounded by in childhood and then the people that she avoids when she's a teenager and like a young woman. And then finally, when she realizes, oh my God, I need other, I need somebody else. I I need somebody else. Can you talk a little bit about those relationships and kind of how they all, what were you trying to say? with those relationships? What were you hoping people would pick up that you were putting down? Well, I think that Wanda is so wary of the people not in her immediate family. And for good reason, they're really unkind to her. She, as someone, as a child who was named after a really catastrophic storm, there's something, there's some like superstition going on and she's just like not loved her community the foundation of her, of her personhood is like being unloved by her community even though she does have her brother and her father and phyllis on her team and so i think kind of the emotional arc for wanda throughout the story is both encountering the very real consequences of that and and trying to learn to 
keep yourself safe and and being a real thing. And also coming to an understanding that there has to be a balance. Like she does have to strengthen this muscle of discernment and letting people in and, and build and also, and also her ability to build her own community and to like, she comes from this place that didn't appreciate her, that didn't understand her. And by the end of the book, she is flexing this muscle of building her own community that can give her those things. I just loved it because it's it's the same kind of isolation that we were talking about before, right? You've got the isolation of Florida and then the things that are happening within it. And then you have Wanda's isolation and then the ways that she grows from it. And I just, I loved that that parallel. I don't know. I could talk to you for hours about this book. I think it is just unbelievably fascinating, but I just thank you so much for joining me today. It was so lovely to see Florida depicted as a Floridian and somebody who's used to the butt of jokes and who makes a fair amount of Florida jokes herself. You or should they follow you? I don't know. Like, Thank you so much. This has been really fun. And I so appreciate the context that you've brought to the conversation as well. I'm very bad at the internet, but I am occasionally <laughs> on Instagram at Lily Brooks Dalton. It's just my name. People can follow me on, I'm criminally online at Twitter at Nat San Paul. I run the Feminist Book Club Twitter page. And you can find me on Instagram at Stitchcraft, the letter N, wizardry. And thank you so much. Have a great rest of your evening, listeners. And think about resilience. Think about the world that you want to build. Think about the knowledge that you want to pass on and build your communities, babes. Nail Partners, Inc. is a Black-owned commercial real estate, urban planning, and community engagement firm based in St. Paul, Minnesota. We believe in developing generative results in the community while addressing the pressing challenges facing urban-built environments. Our work and belief system is rooted in applied empathy and putting people first. Our approach delivers thoughtful, human-centered solutions for clients and cultivates sustainable relationships. We make a conscious effort to hire local residents as community liaisons, staff, and consultants to support engagement in local communities. We hire local talent as interns and have developed an artist-in-residence program in order to build up young and upcoming professionals within our community. We are currently hiring for our summer intern program. We provide real estate development and business technical assistance to small business owners, entrepreneurs, and companies that share our values. So if you're a business owner looking to do things the right way the first time, it's time to do things the NAO way. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Oh, well,